0: Welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you for being here. Before we listen to my next guest, I want to ask that if you like the podcast, please subscribe to the channel and leave a positive review so we can grow this channel. I've been working really hard for you guys to grow by putting systems in place that bring on guests who are very valuable to you. And I'm just going to be honest, it hasn't been an easy ride. So I would certainly appreciate your support. Also, let me know your thoughts by texting me at 714-294-0269. Again, 714 294 Last time, 714 294 To ask about details and to receive future podcasts directly to your cell phone. Let's continue with the podcast. So, okay, cool. So where did we leave off?
1: Uh, man, <laughs> I don't
0: remember. So, so you had, uh, so you, you, so was, you got these investors, you got... To $2 million um, in investment. Uh, you didn't dilute the company too much. You we're talking about horror stories of investors. Right, right. And then you guys saw enterprise software, right? Uh so the enterprise software, was it hard? Like how hard was it to get your first enterprise client?
1: So this was really interesting. See, we started with an open source platform. And so we had enterprises using the SALT open source platform uh, well before we even got investment dollars in, and, but they were using it for free. And so we had to go in and try and convert some of these guys over to being enterprise customers. And it wasn't that long until we had, uh, until we had a few of those initial customers. Most of our initial customers were primarily around support. So... We were making this open source platform and we were on the hook to support those guys. So if they ever had an issue, they'd call us up. If they wanted something added to the code, they'd call us up. And that was really the first few years of the company was mostly just supporting what we what we were giving away for free.
0: Yeah. So during that process, was that like extremely hard to do or did you feel comfortable at that time?
1: Well, it took a little while until until we realized that it's, it's not really a good growth prospect right. and, uh, and it's hard to sustain. Because a lot of our customers wouldn't, wouldn't come back after a year or so, right? We would solve their problems and they'd be happy. Um, and they would get familiar enough with our open source code base that they would just contribute the code instead of asking us to add it. Right. So it turned into this situation where open source success uh, was actually a problem for us. And we realized that if we wanted to be able to move forward, we were going to have to create enterprise software. We would have to make proprietary software. And so we go back to uh, 2015 and we make a concerted effort to change our, our business approach and say, right. no, we've got uh, to make some proprietary software. And so, one of the problems that I run into with with open source, from a business perspective, is you kind of have to win twice. Right. Uh, you have to win in, from a community perspective and get people to actually use your stuff for free, but then you've got to win again from a product perspective, to say now that people now people who are using my stuff for free are willing to pay pay me money for more software. Right. Um, and that creates an interesting hurdle. We came out with our proprietary software, and our sales went up. Um, significantly, but we found out that a lot of our customers were still buying the proprietary software and not using it. They still just, because we said that's the only way you can get support. Um, And we had to take another hard look at ourselves as a company. Sure, we we were growing, but not fast enough. And so uh, back in late 2016, shortly after we came out with our, late 2016, early 2017, uh, when we came out with our proprietary software, I started telling everybody, look, we need to go into security operations. Right. Um, infrastructure management is heavily dominated by custom tools and customization on top of open source software. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I, we'd been playing the open source game long enough that we could step back and say, we know what this is. Right. We know what we're gonna be able to get out of writing open source software, we understand how it fits into businesses. And I started pushing hard internally, we need to go into security. Um, and, and that I feel we can have a pretty differentiated product from a security perspective. And so we started developing that back in 2018. And we came out with our first security offering about a year ago in um, compliance enforcement. And we talked to a lot of our customers, a lot of our open source users, and we were surprised how many of our open source users who had been telling us for years we're never gonna pay you a dime, <laughs> by the way.
0: And then all of um, a sudden they're like, no, we love you. <laughs>
1: right. right, I mean, so one of, one of our biggest deployments of Salt is eBay. So um, eBay's oh. using us to manage about a quarter million machines right now, you know, give or take 50,000. Um, which no is a pretty, pretty good deployment. Um, yeah, awesome. And so they've been coming back to us now and saying we love this security stuff. If you add just a couple more features, we can we can sign some big checks for you. And they were they were the kind of company that was telling us for years, honestly, we'd love to pay you, but I just can't find a way to justify it internally.
0: <laughs> really? Wow. How how many decision makers do you have to go through to get to Eve to to get them to write a check?
1: Enterprise sales is really interesting when it comes down to navigating those decision makers. Right. Because it depends wildly on the company, what that company structure looks like, what their management looks like, what what was our door into the company? Um, How do we make sure that our door into the company doesn't actually somehow become sabotaged by the end? Like they still love you, but they screw it up in weird ways. I mean, the navigation's intense. Sometimes you've got to go through five or six layers of managers before you get to a final decision Um, and it can take months and months of time
0: it makes you think like is it even worth it to do to be in the enterprise um sector (laughs) if it just takes so long man
1: (laughs) no and, and it does and it's a serious problem and it's one that we've done a really good job of mitigating and this is another reason why we went into security early on we, have, we had a software platform that was nebulous. And so we were saying, we can automate whatever your enterprise processes are. And we won primarily in the enterprise big business space because nobody could beat us on scale and speed.
0: Mm, gotcha.
1: And so once these companies, yeah, once these companies got to a certain size, they just said, look, it's the stacks really our only option at this point. Wow. Um, but even then, it would take six to sometimes eighteen months to navigate a sale, which wow. is which is horrendous. Now, yeah,
0: I thought about this like so. Sometimes my sales cycles are are longer, but during like the dry period, it's like the worst. But when you actually do close, you have that long of a time frame uh, to like. Right. To, to To be fertile, you know, to have, uh, f- you know, to be fertile, and you can, eh, or is that, is that the right word I don't, to use? I don't know, but um, it, 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 you, you can uh, reap the rewards of your efforts for like another year, two years, three years, five years, you know. So, yeah, I mean,
1: you'll spend six months on a on a on a sale, but then they'll cut you a half a million to three million dollar check. Yeah, um, yeah, and so for a while, I mean, our sales were the occasional 50 grand check here and there, but we were living on those three giant sales a year. Yeah. Um, And that's uncomfortable. (laughs) Um, And and that's another reason, again, why we went into security because we said, look, we've got to figure out a way that we can hit mid-market and we can accelerate our enterprise sales. So our sales cycle went from being on average nine to 12 months, which again is (laughs) terrible. Um, to where it is now, where it's three to six weeks. Wow. And, and that security product made, a huge, made all the difference because then it became very easy to say, here's a very succinct message. It carries through. You can look us up and we clearly say, we do X, Y, Z. This is a pain point that is important to all of these big corporations. And here's a differentiating factor that nobody else in the industry can do It's easy to explain that in three to six weeks and get a sale lined up.
0: Yeah. Um, So three to six weeks, how are you getting these clients right now? Is it just like word of mouth or is it, are you doing any, a lot of outreach or?
1: We're doing a lot of outreach. So, I mean, we've got just short of a hundred people in the company at this point. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've, we've got a much more robust, robust marketing department than we ever have. And so, uh you know we've got we've got your pretty standard marketing lead funnel and pipeline in place at this point so we're doing everything from high level outreach high um really high top of funnel stuff um as well as going to conferences talking to people at conferences I'm giving presentations on product um, and flying all over the country and sometimes internationally all the time yeah um uh, as well as even just Advertising and getting people to go to our web properties, and our open source software is still a strong source of leads.
0: How much? How much capital are you, are you looking for at the moment, right now? So anybody, uh, any investors listening, maybe.
1: Seriously. So right now, right now, wow, what's we're we're just solidifying exactly what our what our messaging is around the capital raise. Okay. Um. So so we haven't we haven't nailed down a number exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh right now we're looking at somewhere probably it's probably going to land somewhere between 20 and 30
0: Got it Yeah you should send this podcast eventually to all the potential investors Seriously. We're sending
1: them we're sending them a lot of podcasts
0: <laughs> Oh yeah Oh so you get you get interviewed quite a bit
1: Yeah yeah no I mean this is this oh. is uh, fairly normal I to, to be honest I I did another podcast this morning Really Yeah
0: that's smart, by the way, smart, yeah, really. smart, uh, smart thing to do. Um, I think a lot of uh, business podcasts would like to interview people like you. And, um, it's, so it's a win-win and, and for sure, like it gets you exposure to people that are listening. So.
1: No, it goes a long way and, and we really just have to be on the horn constantly with the message. And this is something again, that's new for us. We weren't very good at marketing in the past. Um, now, and we've made huge shifts around changing our approach.
0: <laughs> do you guys do a lot of sales too, like calls, phone calls, cold calls, uh, networking? Like, what what are what is what are your main the main things that you do?
1: Well, one of the things that's nice is that we don't do a whole lot of cold calling anymore, and we don't you, do a whole lot of that's call- brutal.
0: The cold calling is brutal.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, it is. Oh, yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Um, and and it's not very fruitful, right? You you have people working their tail off. You're uh, your uh, cost of uh, cust your customer acquisition cost to, goes through the roof. Um, so no, I mean we're much more geared at this point that our salespeople are dealing with um, inbound leads. That makes sense as opposed to as opposed to more outbound leads that have a much much lower probability of bearing fruit.
0: Well, you got to do what you have to do at the moment. You know, if you don't have the money, then you gotta you gotta do you gotta make the calls. You know.
1: Oh, uh, you do. You do.
0: absolutely Um, so you're not you you don't disagree with somebody having like a cold-calling staff when they when they're not there yet with regards to their marketing when they're not
1: I don't disagree with that Um, there's a solid question about could that money be spent better in marketing
0: yeah a hundred percent hundred percent
1: and but at the same time it depends on the industry as well it depends on what your sale looks like when you're when you're navigating enterprise sales um, a, a cold call into a company that doesn't know who you are doesn't it doesn't go anywhere. It's it's not worth it. Um, no. Yeah, I mean it's one thing to respond to RFPs. Uh, we do a lot. We've done a lot of oh, that. I hate
0: RFPs, man. The, those are the worst.
1: <laughs> they are. We've won some deals that way, though. Really? Um, oh yeah. Where where we weren't even on the radar for these companies, and we come in and. I mean, you've got to work hard when you weren't invited to the RFP. <laughs> but we've, we've won a few big ones. We've gotten some, some large insurance companies that way. Really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, because well, it's, it's a seat at the table. And if I, we can get far enough that we can demo our product, they, they pretty regularly say, well, wow, nobody else can do this stuff.
0: I, I'm not really into the RFP game. <laughs> I don't like RFPs. <laughs> That's why I'm like, I'm focused more on branding these days. Um, so like branding helps a lot, helps a lot. Like you get calls taken when you, when you do proper branding, but.
1: Well, uh, and I, and I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, when, when I've got a, when I've got one of my outside sales guys, we've, we've got a few outside sales reps and when they come back and, and they're talking about supporting an RFC, or, uh, an RFP, there is much eye rolling that happens in the office.
0: Oh, it's like, uh, here's
1: a know? bunch of loops to jump through for no reason.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They, they may even ignore it. You know, it's just not even.
1: Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I was uh, think when I think about RFPs, I think of Gary Vaynerchuk. Are you familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk? No. Oh, he's really popular and he has a very big brand online, very huge YouTube channel, Facebook, everywhere you go, you'll find he has a huge brand and he says he doesn't do any RFPs for enterprise clients. And the reason is because he focused so much on brand. Um,
1: well, we're having this conversation. I'm thinking about it. I don't know if we've started to just flat out say no to RFPs. I I can't remember us doing one for at least a year.
0: Yeah, w- one thing, one thing I've implemented is like, uh, uh like a, a, a an audit price. Like, so it's a very small um, uh, cost, very low cost to them getting an audit of their entire all their systems and whatever. And so you can provide a detailed audit of what they should do with their systems and then charge for that. And some people will actually choose to do that and that covers your RFP cost. (laughs) And then they're also getting some value um, because you're actually providing them a game plan as opposed to just like saying, Hey, this is what we charge. And then having like, you know, everything about your company, whatever the case may be, like case studies and stuff like that. You can provide the case studies, but then, you can say, "Hey, this is the game plan, this is what we 'll do for you. You can hire us. You can hire somebody an outside firm. Uh, you know what do you think of, of doing something like that
1: no, I, I love that approach and, yeah and again this and that approach is one of the one of the reasons why we changed a lot of our go to market, yeah, because early on, most of our product offerings were extremely bespoke, yeah, and um, you can 't go in with a bespoke yeah. product and say, well, here's a demo of what we're going to do, do for you uh, when, when you haven't had and the then, opportunity to sit down and go over with, with their team exactly what their needs already are.
0: And some of these managers yeah. have a wall up and they don't give you all the information you need to, to provide the proper... So if they're like, yeah, we'll pay like whatever, $2,000, $2,500 to like for you to do a, a complete detailed, um, plan that we can implement on our, on our own. Um, I think that's, yeah, that's, that's better for me. Uh, and yeah, I'm sure you like, you love that, but, um, okay. so cool. What was the, what was the most challenging time in your business besides that time up to July in, in that year, um, that you were, you were, you began like sweating a little bit, like I'm running out of money. Besides that, what's been the most challenging thing for you?
1: Um, I would say the most challenging thing has been really the business transformation. When we were, the, the two times that we were working on, um, I wouldn't quite call, call it a pivot, but I mean, it felt kind of like a pivot. Um, we're, where we had taken what wasn't a whole lot in resources and dedicated them in, in a high-risk way to making new products. Um, those are incredibly difficult times because, I mean, everybody's basically living on bread and water, right? And you're doing everything you can to just get that next product out the door and you're betting everything on this next move. And it's incredibly nerve wracking.
0: Wow. And so through that process, did you have, you know, if you don't mind me asking, do you have people quit? Did you have people go, I I can't go through this? Oh, Uh, yeah.
1: Well, and I mean, people quit. Um, it's interesting. We actually had more people quit when we um, when we were moving to our security product, and and the, the company became kind of kind of bipolar. Uh, we had we had a lot of people who were saying, "No, this is crazy, and I'm not on board. I don't think that we should go into cybersecurity. I don't think that this that this makes sense." And they were very upset that. Uh, we were investing in areas that were adjacencies to what had been our core area for so long. Um, And yeah, and, and they left over that. Um, And, uh, and a lot of really good friends, people I really, really admire and and appreciate left. And I hate to say it like this, but that was a good thing. Mm -hmm. When so often when somebody leaves, it's, it's a good thing. It's a hard yeah. thing in many cases and it's yeah. a scary thing and you've Get got
0: somebody. recovery. Yeah. Um, and you want, you want people that are there through rough times as well, right? Oh, you do. Like I just did an uh, interview with uh, a guy who's like one of the biggest developers in California and he was telling me how like his, uh, during 2008, it was a really, really hard time and all the executives took half the pay and he said he lost just one person out of that. And he was very grateful that, you know, they stuck with him. And even people were having like, his executives was having like health issues and stuff like that because of the stress, oh, yeah. you know? Um, so these executives, some of them, man, like, you know, they could, they could find a job anywhere else. So you always got to be appreciative of people that stay, you know, during tough times.
1: No, you really do. And, uh, but at the same time, when, when someone leaves, they they don't want to be there, and so it's better that they're not. Yeah. Um, and and it, and it can be yeah, it can be tough to bite that bullet. Uh, but you've always got to look on the positive side of things. You've always got to be able to look at something and say, yeah, I've I've heavily relied on this person for a long time. But if if they if if they're not on board for this transformation, I, I got to have somebody who is.
0: I I know my answer to this, but is entrepreneurship worth it to you? And, and the like? Would you would you go back and start it over again?
1: <laughs> so I mean, when times are rough, I, you probably you you probably experienced this. When times are rough, and I think to myself, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is this is murder. <laughs> you know, and, I, and I'll go to bed thinking, I don't want. I'm tomorrow, man. Tomorrow's the day. I'm not doing this anymore tomorrow. I'm going to walk in there and just say nuts to this. And and I wake up in the morning and I'm thinking, okay, you know, and, you, and sometimes you get so far where you say, I'm really, I'm really doing it this time. I'm going to quit this time. Right. And um, I've only gotten that far once or twice. <laughs> and I ask myself, okay, fine. This is great. This is liberating. I'm going to quit. What am I going to do after this? Yeah. And I said, and I think about it for a few minutes, and go, "Oh, yeah, make another company. <laughs> I yeah. can't not do this.
0: Yeah, I yeah, have
1: to do this.
0: Yeah, because your alternative is like working in corporate, and
1: uh, yeah, <laughs> it's <Ooh>. the worst. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, just with the statistics, I was talking with a few like of the interviewees about." the statistics of how many people actually hate their job, uh, in the corporate realm and how brutal it can be, it's you hard. know? Yeah. It can be extremely brutal. And, and, uh, and so th- that so there's benefits and detriments to, to both sides of the equation. Right. So like, oh, yeah. So like entrepreneurship, you're always worried about capital. You, you have to, uh, you have to manage employees. Um, you know, if they're great employees, then not much management, but like, and then you have ups and downs, clients, you know, complain. Uh, you don't have to deal with that in the corporate, but somebody's telling you what to do every day. You have to come in during a specific time. You have no control of your schedule. Sometimes people you, you work with, you don't like. <laughs> so,
1: Well, the great thing about being an entrepreneur is at least I get to shovel my own crap.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: I mean, yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've been in yeah in the corporate world and you get thrown into a situation and you go, oh, Well, this is a disaster. Yeah. And the answer is, Well, you've got to fix it now. <laughs> well, who made this disaster? Bob over there, but he's off the hook for some reason.
0: Yeah. Okay, I, and then okay, you take the blame
1: if, if it goes wrong.
0: Yeah. If you take the blame if it goes wrong, too.
1: Oh, yeah. But, oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, um, all right. And, and so what, what would you attribute your success to? Cause you've obviously seen success. It's never easy. It's never an easy journey. And I'm sure like to, to some extent, most entrepreneurs that are doing well don't think they're doing well for the most part. <laughs> it's just like a constant, like, man, am I, am I doing it? I don't know. <laughs> but,
1: you, you, you have clearly asked this question before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my, my, my response is always, well, we're getting there. There's a lot of work left. We're getting there. Yeah. Um, I feel like success is doing a lot of little things well. Um, and I also feel like it's perseverance. Uh, I mean, we've been, we've been kicked while we were down a lot. Uh, don't get me wrong. And there have been a lot of days when, yeah, you, you get sick of being kicked while you're down. Uh, but then at the same time, you've got you to get kicked in the morning and look at your people in the afternoon and say, we're, we're gonna make it and we're gonna do great things. Right. And being able to, to put that positive attitude on, and again, take care of the little things over and over and over again, that matters. Yeah. Um, it Matters in a big way. And just, you just don't give up, even when, even when stuff goes sideways.
0: That's what you attribute your success to, is just not giving up. Just, just keep moving forward.
1: Uh, in, in large part, yeah. The other side, frankly, I, I think that we're smart and we got some really smart people. Right. Um, hard work. One thing I like to say is that hard work covers many other failings in life. If you're not as smart as, not as sly as, not as good as, hard work can get you through a lot of problems. Now, if you're smart and you work hard, then that's where that's where yeah. it can work out well.
0: Well, um, I don't know. I, I feel like, tell me if you're what, you, what your thoughts are, but I think like talent's a dime a dozen. You know, it's people overestimate what talent can do for a company and they underestimate what the hard work that, that is needed that would make it work.
1: No, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And, um, well, and I, I, I flat out say to somebody, if you don't have humility and a willingness to work hard and, ex, and an acceptance of what you don't know, right. You don't have any talent to begin with mm. because, because you're not going to be able to bring that talent to bear. Right. And so, uh, so is it even there if you yeah. can't produce, what have you got? I like I mean one thing I like telling entrepreneurs is so you got an idea. An idea is worth nothing. Nothing. No, I,
0: I, I, post, worth I did a post on that. Because yeah. I was the, the the point was um uh not to talk about myself. I don't like to do that you know on interviews, but like um I did a post on like somebody asking me to do an uh, sign an NDA and they're yeah. they were pre-revenue. I don't like you know, execution is is more is invaluable. Um, and ideas don't mean anything. Oh, yeah. And, and most people, and a lot of people disagree with me on that post, but a lot of people in your position agree with me on that post. So, you well,
1: know. yeah, because I've got lots of ideas. It doesn't mean I can make them all, and it doesn't mean that they're going to make money, and it doesn't mean that they're going to have traction. And, right. and if I st- step back and say, oh, that other guy stole my idea, and I whine about it, well, <laughs> sorry, buddy, you're just another whiner.
0: Yeah. Yeah. true. And then, and then who cares if somebody takes your idea that they, they may not be the one in one millionth person that executes on that idea. So, you know, it, it's a very high likelihood that they're not going to be that one in one millionth person that's going to actually be interested in what you're offering and then execute on that. You know?
1: Well, and, and so many people with good ideas underestimate the difficulty of that execution just because I can come up with, Hey, you know, if I string these processes together for these people, I bet it'll make money. There's a huge gap between that and actually delivering product. Right. A huge gap.
0: Yeah. And, and uh, entrepreneurship comes with its benefits, but it comes at a, at a high price. Um, You know, it's, it's definitely hard, but it's, it's fun for the most part for, for entrepreneurs, but or people looking from the outside, would you say that they, they, they see like a struggle consistently, but from the inside, it's like, Hey, I kind of like this, you know, I want to overcome this. And
1: Well, I mean, it gets to the point where you wake up in the morning and you say, if, if I wasn't going to struggle today, then why am I getting out of bed?
0: Yeah, true.
1: I, I, I don't get out of bed so I can sit on a cushion somewhere. I get out of bed so I can fight.
0: Right. And it's, it's nice to like struggle and, uh, have that as opposed to your life being super easy and, and it would be boring. I think most people would, would hate that more than having problems every day, you know?
1: Well, how do I, how do I put this? <laughs> I, I know quite a few people who were, who were born into money. I mean, a lot of us do. Oh yeah. And uh, I'd, I'd much rather not have it. I do.
0: I'm this. Oh my, I'm the same way. Like, have you ever bought a lottery ticket? No. I've never bought a lottery ticket either. I don't understand it. it
1: yeah. Why, why would you gamble?
0: If, yeah. But not, so, not, not even. Yeah. I mean, why would you gamble? But also, like, if you won, why would you want that? <laughs> well, and it's, it's what all motivation, it? all purpose,
1: you know? Yeah, you, you, you don't even. Well, and people don't understand what happens when you even you get a little bit of a cash injection. How much that screws up your overall perception of life. And this happens to a ton of successful entrepreneurs too. Right. And they and 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 they come back a year or two later and say, Oh, well, I traveled the world and I bought a bunch of junk and I've got a sports car and a giant house. And then they realize that, well, what they were actually building with their lives is gone, right? Yeah. That their family and their relationships are are not there anymore. And 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 you kind of have to come back and say, well, what am I actually living life for? Because if I'm living life for this sports car, yeah, that's,
0: it's not, that's pretty that's hollow. To, right? Yeah, it's very hollow. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like, it's the same thing as like having like an advanced degree, like where you're like a doctor or a lawyer, like, or like you're a successful uh, entrepreneur. The, the main benefit of having the title in other people's eyes it's just when you're at a get together and people go, Oh, you're, you're, you're a successful CEO or you're a doctor or whatever. And that's really the main benefit. But then, you know, so a, lot of, a lot of people go to work every day and they hate their job as opposed to like, let's say like a non-traditional person um, that loves their job every day. And they don't care about, you know, the initial like, Oh, wow. You know, <laughs> unless they're famous, you know, <laughs>
1: yeah no and i uh how do i put this um I, I i didn't have a whole lot of experience or exposure to uh to the legal profession until until uh <laughs> starting this company oh my land yeah. i could not do that job no I've, I've met lawyers who say that they love it my brothers are lawyers they they say it's great and i don't know what's wrong with them Right, I don't know how you can live that way.
0: Well, maybe they say, that they say the same thing about you, like on entrepreneurship.
1: Oh, no, and they do. They're, they yeah. say, man, I couldn't take that stress. And I try and explain to them things like, you know, a competitor comes out with a product that's nasty or, you know, somebody writes bad press about you or you lose a giant sale that you were counting on and you're not going to hit your number this quarter. And they're going, oh, I couldn't do that. And I'm going, where's the excitement? <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Are they, are they, do they work in the corporate world? Are they their own?
1: Uh, Uh, they, they work for law firms.
0: They look, they work for law firms. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Um, that's great. And, uh, you're right, man. I mean, you know, I've, uh, I've seen some of the motions and stuff like that. And it's like for a simple motion, it's like five pages or 10 pages, you know.
1: (laughs) So I'm sitting down and I'm talking to my brother and brilliant guy. Guy went to Yale to get his JD. I mean, brilliant guy. Um, I mean, I'm the dumb one. (laughs) And
0: <laughs> Oh, I mean, look what you—you're um, actually not the dumb one.
1: Sure. I know. I, I like to say that jokingly. Growing <laughs> up, I was the dumb one. Um, <laughs> but
0: he—you just didn't like—you didn't like education all that much. Well, I like, don't. Know, like,
1: edu- don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I'm talking to him about a case, and he's working on this case for a year and a half of his life, uh, building huge amounts of. Legal documentation and the result of the case is it never goes to court and they settle, they never have to even review anything, any of the work. And I'm going, whoa, well, you're telling me the last year and a half of your life just got thrown away? Mm-hmm. He goes, Yeah. And I say, doesn't that bother you? And he says, No, that was a lot of billable hours. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> oh. I'm going, Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the one thing I don't like about billable hours thing, man. You just like, and then, and, and the what, what system, are
1: people filling that up with?
0: <laughs> yeah. And then court, the court system so convoluted. Like it just delays everything. And it's like, you're, you're paying for things that just are inefficient. It doesn't make sense, you know, but it is what it is, you know?
1: Well, and, and there's no financial motivator to make those things efficient, more efficient in, in no. many of these cases. And without those financial motivators, well, you're just going to perpetuate a system.
0: Yeah, there. I was just uh, doing a podcast. It's like like government agencies and uh, man, government employees. Uh, not, not to okay, look, if you're listening, you're a government employee. This I'm not painting at all. with rock Broad brush. Okay.
1: I, I know a lot of govies that I think are great. I couldn't yeah. do it. Yeah. You know, but that's just who I am. Right?
0: Yeah, that's true. Everybody has different DNA. Oh yeah.
1: yeah. Uh,
0: but, but like, um, you know, that th- I was talking to this guy, Daniel Burnett, um, he mentioned this on the po- on our podcast, but he, he were, he was an MD and he worked for the FDA and, uh, he, he was a guy that, you know, went to like Ivy league and stuff like that. he went to this, he worked for the FDA and there was, there was like some really bad employees at the FDA, like just horrible. Right. And one of them in particular was like sleeping all the time. At her desk, just like sleeping. It's just like, what are you doing? Are you, are you Are you working? You know, and like she wasn't doing any work. Bad attitude. All like the worst employee you could possibly imagine. She gets fired. Right. Yep. She sues the government. They hire her back two weeks later. That's like what? Like <laughs> doesn't make that would never happen in the corporate world. You know.
1: Well, because and because the reality is from uh, from a management perspective. As, as unpleasant as it is, sometimes the best thing you can do is fire people. If, you, if you're not willing to let somebody go, then, then, there, then you don't have the right motivation matrix inside of your business. Right. I, I mean, I certainly do not enjoy letting people go. Nobody. But if somebody's not doing what I'm paying them to do, I should stop paying them.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree. I mean, it's, it's business. You know, you're paying for something. You know, now if somebody's going through something like personal and you know,
1: oh, oh heavens, of course. Of course. And yeah. you need to be as supportive as possible. I mean, and it's funny you say sleeping at your desk. So I and, and government. So I used to work for the US intelligence community. Right. Um, and uh, we, we built some cool stuff there that I can neither confirm nor deny exists. That's awesome. <laughs> but but while I was there, I had great health benefits and I had a brain tumor. Whoa. And so I had a a brain tumor removed. um, And the the recovery is long. But, of course, I wanted to get back to work as soon as I could. I felt terrible taking disability checks. Um, And so, I mean, as soon as I could get back to work, I was. They were very supportive. And, yes, for the first month, I was back at work. Uh, I mean there are about four times where I had to lie down behind my desk and take a nap, but I just had a brain tumor removed <laughs> right and they were understanding and great about it yeah
0: that's always you know there 's the difference between that and like somebody not doing their job you know
1: oh, definitely definitely
0: yeah. there's a there 's definitely a distinction now to get more slack when they 're going when somebody is going through something. If, they, if that person did their job for a very long period of time and they did it effectively and efficiently and then they go through that, I think where I think some people provide less slack on people is when that person was already slacking and then they have a personal issue and now it's like, it just comes off like, oh, it's another thing. It's another thing, right? But
1: Well, and, and uh, it, it can be very toxic when you have employees who get away with excuses on a regular basis. Right, um, right. Yeah, you've, you have to be able to, to run an effective company. Um, and I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with other guys who say, man, the, the biggest change that made my company start moving in, the, in a positive direction when it had been a zombie company <laughs> was when I realized that it's okay for me to fire these people. Um, it yeah. makes a massive difference mm-hmm. is to say, look, the bar's here. And this is this is the this is the United States, and I can let you go.
0: What are your thoughts on the education system these days? Because you you mentioned something about the education system, so
1: so I'm a college dropout. Okay, um, I do not have a college degree of any kind. Uh, I graduated high school with a 2.1 GPA. Okay. Um, and
0: uh, that doesn't mean that you it wasn't in your genes that you're like smart because you guys you have like people in your family that are yale yale graduates so it's like oh yeah no but you just probably didn't have enough
1: and i don't i don't think i'm dumb
0: no i don't (laughs) think i make
1: make that joke i'm the dumb one just because growing up i was the one with the bad grades (laughs) the the problem I would say that the, the primary problem with the education system is one that is not easily solved or reasonably solved. And that is that you, you is that to create an education system to a certain extent, it's gotta be a factory and uh, you can't, <laughs> I don't know how to not make it a factory and still make the thing cost effective enough that we can pull it off i mean you look at it from a macro, from a from an economic perspective and um, the the care that individual students need the interest you know the the motivation in making sure that you've got teachers who want to be teachers and that, and that we can get rid of the joke of those who can't teach mm. uh, to to be able to pull that off economically is is a non trivial task and then we combine that with the fact that uh, when you create education systems on the scale that we create them as government programs, you're going to have massive bureaucratic overhead. You, you have to to make those sorts of programs work. Right. And so it becomes this situation where it's easy to criticize education because I don't think that they have the tools or the situation or the circumstance to create a system which is effective.
0: Hmm. Especially entrepreneurship, like, don't you feel like entrepreneurship in, in college should be taught by successful entrepreneurs?
1: I think most classes in college should be taught by people who are <laughs> successful in their field.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and, <laughs> oh, this is, well, funny like, because this, this is tying back to family. My little brother has almost got his PhD.
0: <laughs> okay. What is it? What is his PhD in? English. English. Okay.
1: Um, and he, but he wants to teach and he's a good teacher. Yeah. Um, and he's passionate about teaching and he's passionate about his yeah. students.
0: That's different than entrepreneurship. In, being an English teacher is like you've actually gone through the process of being a good, good at English um, or good at, you know, English um, literature, whatever the case may be. I don't.
1: Um, and he wants to enter the field because he loves teaching. Right. Yeah. Which is different from somebody entering the field because they wanted to get a PhD for heaven knows why, right? But I mean, they but, but they end up being a brutal. professor not because they want to teach.
0: PhDs are brutal, man. I my uncle has a PhD uh, and uh from USC and like it's it's really brutal. Um seven years, you know, eight years sometimes, not ten years. Some people are, are in this, on these programs and it's uh intense. It's like, why not just like, I don't know. I just feel like why not become like a, a physician or something? But because it's like, sometimes you don't have a job at the end of that PhD, you know? Um,
1: well, and a lot of PhDs don't have a job at the end of their PhD. Yeah. And, um, I mean, personally if somebody comes to me and they have a PhD in computer science, uh, I got to be honest, that's, I'd rather take a guy with a master's.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> um, because a PhD, you're going to have to
0: overpay, maybe, I don't know.
1: Uh, no, uh, it's, it's more because typically when I've hired PhDs in computer science, they are so incredibly opinionated about their approach that they have researched, right? They've, they've pigeonholed themselves to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And it makes, and then they, and then they feel as though they're better than everybody else because they got a PhD, and it's hard to argue with. <laughs> yeah, like, and, and I'm there going, look. Sometimes I need you to, I need you to pick up a shovel, and that's yeah. that's life. Yeah, and I don't want to pick up the shovel no, necessarily.
0: Yeah,
1: I mean, and don't get me wrong, I've I've hired and worked with PhDs who do pick up that shovel and are great. Right, right, right. right. Um, but it's, it's one of those situations where those become my concerns with a PhD as opposed to a guy with a bachelor's or a master's. Right.
0: Or even like, are you opposed to hiring computer engineers that are college dropouts?
1: Uh, We have quite a few computer engineers who are college dropouts.
0: Yeah. I mean, look at like Mark Zuckerberg, (laughs) like you definitely want to hire Mark Zuckerberg as a computer engineer for sure. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. So, um, all right, so all right, so if somebody's listening to this podcast, how would they get a hold of you? Um, what's the best way to, to contact you?
1: Oh, to contact me? Yeah. So one of the challenges I've got is I've made a large open source community. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people who want to talk to me.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. All right.
1: So, so there's, there's kind of layers between me and... Uh, sure. Uh, but if somebody wants to talk to me, uh, shoot me an email. It's thatch at solstack.com. If you're trying to sell something to me, uh, please just stop. Um, (laughs) Yeah. um, If you want to contact me for some legitimate, decent reason, please, I'd I'd love to chat.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. That's awesome. Thank you so much.